we are coming to a close in the end of our series called The Awakening in the Book of James. And today, we are looking at one verse, chapter 5, verse 12. And we're talking about today being who you say you are, living with integrity and sincerity, living a life where someone looks at you and they say, I can trust that person because who they say they are and the way that they live match up just fine. Trustworthy. There's a place, now I know all of you think that you're trustworthy, but I want to tell you something. There's a place in the Gospel of John where Jesus looks out at the people and he says, I see you and I know you, therefore I don't trust you. There was a time generations ago when someone shook someone's hand and it meant that they were going to do what they said they were going to do. It was a contract, if you could say. Now today we have these long contracts with fine print, which, come on, you don't read it. Nobody really reads the fine print. And if you do, well, how do you have that much time? Because you're not really worried about it because, well, you could probably get out of it. And uh, if not, well, if you have enough money or you know the right lawyer, you could get out of it. Contracts mean nothing, and our word seems to mean nothing. And what if, claiming to be a Christian, we took that claim so seriously that we saw it as a binding contract between us and God, where when we said yes to Christ, it meant that we were going to live in such a way, and we lived that way because we saw it as a contract, as an oath, as something that we have already entered into, and we took it seriously. The world around us does not trust Christians. I've talked to far too many people who have left the church because what they've experienced is people in the church not being gracious, not being loving to them. Christians ought to be known by our grace and by our love because we have a God of grace and a God of love. We ought to be known by our generosity. We ought to be known by our radical commitment to reorienting our lives around what we know to be true in God's word. We ought to take it seriously. As a contract that we have signed up for and that we are sticking to. So the question is, how do we make sense of the world's distrust towards Christians? Well, James is going to help us understand. So one verse, James 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, we need to give some attention to these first three words. It says, but above all. Now, James has spoken some remarkable truths throughout this book. And I'm unsure as if he's talking about the paragraph before that he just said or the book in its whole, but he says, but above all, meaning this is something that we better listen to. It's important. It's of utmost importance. And then you read it, and he says, don't make an oath. And you're like, wait, 
you just said, but above all, I was expecting something that would pack a punch. So are we missing something here in what James says? I did when I first read it. And this should be a, this should be a lesson to you about reading the Bible. That when you read something and it says, but above all, that you sit there and you read it and you read it and you read it until you understand why this is above all things that he has said. Truth is something that has to be sought out. Sometimes you will stumble on truth. Sometimes truth will pursue you. But sometimes by sweat of the mind and the heart, you have to find truth and pursue it like it's gold. So, oaths. Let's get to this utmost importance thing that James is saying. He says, don't make an oath. Now, here's what happened back then, back in the day. If, if an Israelite wanted someone to believe them that they were going to do the thing that they said they were going to do, they would swear by God. Because they understood, that person understood that, that they were essentially invoking the presence of God, and thereby doing that, if they didn't keep their end of the deal, well, the punishment would be severe. And so the Israelites said, whoa, we don't want to do that. So let's figure something else out. Let's instead swear by heaven or swear by the earth so that our punishment won't be as severe. And what James is saying today is, you fool, don't you know that God is always with you? And because God is always with you, live in such a way that you are aware of his presence in everything that you do. Making an oath is not a bad thing to James. Jesus makes an oath. God makes an oath to us in the Old Testament. Paul makes an oath in Galatians. The point is, live your life in such a way that matches up with who you claim to be. You claim to be following Christ. Does your life match up with that? Yet, you're yet Let your yes be yes and your no be no, meaning you have signed up for this. You have a Savior now. And with that, there's a contract that you enter into that you will now live in such a way that lines up with what it means to be in the kingdom of God. You're genuine. You have integrity. You are sincere and you are trustworthy. To be sincere means up what, what you say about yourself is true in the way that you live. Not just the way that you live, but your motives behind why you do the things that you do. So, you've met people before, and there's something about them you just don't trust them. They're saying all the right things, but it's not really matching up for some reason. And then some people, you just know you can trust them. Because somehow the essence of who they are is coming out and you see that they are sincere in what they say. Now, if you're a Christian, you have to understand something very important. You are the very house of God. You, your body, is a temple of God. Meaning the Spirit of God is dwelling in you by faith, which means that God is always with you. So the question is, when no one is around, when no one is looking, are you living like God is in you? In your job? As you manage your money? When you're being intimate? James is getting at something much deeper than what's on the surface about making an oath. 
He is saying that by becoming a Christian, you have signed something. And he's saying that in all you do, here you go, you represent God. If you're a Christian. A Christian is an ambassador. An ambassador, do you know what it is? An ambassador is someone who is from one country, living in another country, but representing their home country. You, by being a Christian, are a citizen of heaven, living on the earth, representing heaven. So how are you doing in representing God and representing heaven? You've been chosen by God for a very important job, to show the world what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. So how are you representing God? How are you representing his kingdom? Does the world around you say, wow, God must, she must really know who God is and must have tasted some type of grace in God and lived in such a way that is remarkable? And someone says, I wonder if I could have that. Your daily choices are way more important than you realize. Each step, each decision, and each action is a signature that shows who and what you represent. Satan is called the father of lies. He's the opposer, the accuser. He is the one who obstructs. He is the father of lies who opposes truth, who obstructs the truth, and who fights against truth. He is the enemy of the throne of Christ, and here is his way. His way is to twist the truth. So, if you say, this is who I am, I am a Christian, yet you live in a way that is contrary to Christianity, then that means you are acting like a Satan. You're twisting the truth. You are claiming to be one thing, but you aren't being that very thing. A trickster, a deceiver, a deceptor. I think too often Christians, we claim to be ambassadors of heaven, but we live more like ambassadors of hell. And when you do that, what happens is you give a foothold to the things of hell. And it starts causing a sickness to enter into your mind and into your heart. When you aren't being true to who you claim to be, it stains you and it robs you of who you actually are. And each time you live in a way that's contrary to what you claim to be, it pulls you further into the dark side. It's hypocrisy sickness. Sincerity means free from deceit. But each time you live, live hypocritically, you lose more of yourself. And the other thing you lose are your relationships. James is writing to a church, to a group of people, to ambassadors, to citizens of heaven, living on the earth, representing heaven. And within that citizenship that's of heaven, living on the earth, what you find is friendships. And these friendships ought to be reflections of what friendship is like in heaven. The world should see the church and see friendship in the church and say that is attractive, that is magnetic, and that is winsome. And I wish that I had friends like that. The greatest proof that Christianity is true is friendship that is found within the church. Good friendship.
honest, trustworthy, sincere. Glimpses of heaven on the earth. So when you say that you're a Christian, here's what you do. You enter into an oath with God and the people of the church. You enter an oath with God and into those that you are in relationship with. So I want to tell you something. Gossip is a lie. And gossip is when you confess someone else's sin. And gossip is a lie because though you might be saying something true about that person, you're lying to them about your friendship to them. Because when you are in a friendship with someone, a biblical friendship, it's like an oath that you make between God and that person. And the oath is that I am for you and not against you. And I am here for you and I am here to bring myself low in order to lift you up and encourage you. And I'm on your side. But when you confess someone else's sin, instead of going to them when they've done something, maybe that they shouldn't have done, and talking to them about it like a friend, like someone that's for them, you tell the world about their sin. And if you say, well, it's so hard for me to tell them about this. Well, if you can't tell them about it, you surely shouldn't be telling other people about it. And what ends up happening is most friendships look like business relationships. Where people say, well, I will get this from you and you will get this from me. And so therefore we can be friends because it's mutually beneficial. In Christianity... You do have something in common, and it is Christ. And he will never leave you or forsake you. So you are bound to that person, never leaving them or forsaking them. It doesn't mean that they're always standing beside you because people have lives and people go on and do the things that they do and they move away. The point is, it's not a business relationship. And in business relationships, when you can't benefit from someone or they can't benefit from you, the relationship is over. It's broken. But in Christ, that's not the case. Because he is the one who unites you. And here's what he does. He's our example of what friendship is. He brings himself low in order to lift us up. This is what the cross is about. He's bringing himself low in order to bring you up. He's being a good friend to you. Friendship is about people being for each other. And if you're saying right now, man, I need some friends like that, then you're missing it. Because when you're a Christian, you don't wait for those friends to come to you. You are that friend to others. You make the first move. We're not waiting. See, because what did Christ do? He wasn't... He wasn't waiting for you to be a good friend to him. He chased you down. He rescued you. And then he said, now here's what being a good friend looks like. Spouses. Same is true for you. Stop worrying if your spouse is being a good spouse. They're probably not. And you're probably not being a good spouse. It's okay. The reason we aren't acting like what we say that we are is because we have a disordered love in our life. We say, here's what you sign up for. When you say you're a Christian, you say, I love God above all things, and I trust Christ above all things. But we don't live like we love God above all things and trust Christ above all things because we actually don't. You have some moments of clarity, 
And then let's be honest, the rest of the 90% of the time, you want something more than you want Christ. 90% of the time, you trust someone or something more than you trust God. And because of that, you have a disordered love. And because you have this disordered love, well, James tells us what happens. Earlier, he says, you have desires. There's things that you want, and you don't have them. But you desperately want them. You are ambitious about it. And then your friend gets the thing that you want. And when that happens, it breaks down your relationship with them because you can't look at them and be happy for them. You can't look at them and root them on. You can't lift them up and celebrate with them because inside of you, you are dying because you are so envious that they have the thing that you want. If you find yourself competing with your friends and being jealous, it's because you want something more than you want Christ. And that friend has that thing that you want more than you want Christ, and it makes you jealous. But when you're a Christian, Christ is everything. He is your great treasure, and he is always with you. And so when your friends succeed, you could cheer them on and be happy for them because you have everything you need already in him. To be a Christian is to bring yourself low, bend down and lift your friends up and encourage them. But often what we're doing is we're climbing up a ladder above them, and then we tie a weight around their neck and drop that weight so that we could stay above them. And it's tragic. So if you're having a hard time seeing your friend succeed, if you're having a hard time rooting for your friend, if you're, here's what it comes down to. You have a major heart problem with God. You want something more than you want God. You trust in yourself or something else more than you trust God. But when you have God in Christ, you have everything you want and need, and so you're satisfied. So everyone around you is successful, and you're not. Awesome! You already have everything you need. What more success can you want when you have the greatest treasure in all of the cosmos? There's nothing else. But you don't believe it's true. And so you're jealous. You're envious. Or with your spouse, you try to one-up them about how, who had the worst day. You're laughing. Why do we do this? Why do we compete to see who had the worst day? Do you know Christ will always have a worse day than you did? And at, in his worst day, he's fighting for you, not competing with you. So what do we do? Well, one of the most honest and sincere and authentic things that you can do right now is to admit that you are not honest, not sincere, and not authentic. One of, the mo one of the things that is filled with the most integrity that you could do is to admit that you don't have integrity. One of the best things that you can do if you're a hypocrite is to admit that you're a hypocrite because then you aren't as much of a hypocrite anymore and you have more integrity and you're beginning this process of change where you're admitting in your integrity that you aren't, you don't carry integrity and then guess what you do? You make a turn and you turn right to the God of sincerity and integrity 
and authenticity, and you look at him and you say, I've made an oath, I've entered into this contract with you, and I haven't kept up my end of the deal, but you turn to him and you see that every bit of the deal he has kept. When Israel, God's people, became God's people, they entered into an oath, a covenant with God, a promise, relationship, and, the, and, and it went like this. God says, if you'll just listen to me, I know all the ways that you should live, and if you will just listen to me, I will bless you and you will be blessed. But he says, but if you disobey me, you will be cursed. Then he says, but I promise I'm going to bless you. I will find a way. But then he says, if you disobey me, I'm going to curse you. But then he says, but I promise, no matter what, I'm going to find a way to bless you. And you say, how can that be? How can it be that simply by faith, even if I am disobedient, he will bless me? Abraham asks the same question to God, and God essentially says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm swearing on my name that I will bless you even if it costs me my life. God's words to Abraham. Jesus He comes as the warrior king to rescue us from becoming this inauthentic, deceptive person who is not becoming who we're meant to become. He's rescued us from the trickster by tricking the trickster, Satan himself. You know what Jesus is called? The truth. Do you know why he's called the truth? Because he is the very, very answer to all of God's promises that he made to us. In Christ, every promise that God has made to you is yes. Through faith in him, yes. So by him, the curse is lifted. Because on the cross, he becomes the curse. So you are blessed because he is cursed in your place. You are now forgiven. And you know what that means? You don't have to hide from God anymore. You don't have to pretend like you're someone who has it all together when everybody around you knows that you don't. And you could come to God perfectly that way as some misfit that has a Savior that is learning how to follow Him. And you can stand before God knowing that he's covered everything. So be known by God. And as soon as you are willing to be that vulnerable before God and let him know you fully, you will then know him. We're stumbling along the way. We're following down, falling down. And we're lost. But look at what he's doing. He's made an oath. He's made a promise to you right now. When you fall, you hit the ground. You know what he's doing? He's standing over you. And he's telling himself, I made a promise. And I'm here to keep it. So he brings himself low. And he lifts you up. He did it on the cross. And he will continue to do it again and again and again. Because he's made that promise to you. And that promise is not sealed by a handshake. And it is not sealed by a signature it is sealed by his blood that has been splattered upon the cross and a hole that he has punched into the grave. So go to him. 
and he will help you become who you really are. Let's pray. Father, we don't want to be phonies and fakes. We want to be people who are vulnerable about who we are and who we've become, but also who we're becoming. And the only way to get there is to be honest about what's in our hearts before you. And so, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to take the risk and to let ourselves be known before you and not try to put on a mask, not try to put on a bunch of good things that we have done before we come to you, but just come to you as we are, knowing that you have made some promises that you will be gracious to us and trust those promises. Help us, God, trust them. So that then we would be people who are sincere and honest and authentic. And as we mess up, it's okay because you are with us and you pick us up and then we begin following you again. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.